And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. The Athletic. New Gareth Bale, new formation, first Premier League win against a team not in the relegation zone for two months, consecutive clean sheets for the first time in two months, biggest league win in five months. Was this the weekend that everything changed? Or was it just Burnley at home? You're listening to the View from the Lane podcast. My name is Jack Pitbrook. I'm joined, as always, by James Moore. Now, James, it has been a pretty grim few months for Tottenham, but watching them batter Burnley in the bright sunlight yesterday afternoon, I did think everything's changed. Everything's going to be okay, isn't it? It's amazing, isn't it, how quickly... And we're going to kind of come on to the accusations that we've been quite fickle over the course of the season in a bit, I think. But it is it is like mad how quickly things do feel completely different. Which isn't to say I've come round to your way of thinking of sort of November, December that Spurs were in a title race. But certainly you kind of look at the Premier League table now all of a sudden and, and, they're, and they're six points off fourth with a game in hand on West Ham. And you think, yeah, actually maybe it's not entirely insurmountable. And they're in the Europa League last 16 against a team who, you know, I'm sure we're very good because... You know, a dynamizer or a grab will always have a, t- a brilliant, technically gifted players. That's kind of one of the things we know. Um, but Spurs should be backing themselves to get through there. So if you look at it, you know, in the race for top four, potentially with a good opportunity to go through to the to the last uh, eight of a European competition, it's not all bad, is it? I think I said to you last week, I think it was Tuesday when the sun came up for the first time. And I said to you, Oh, it's it's so easy to feel optimistic about the world when the sun comes out. You know, you kind of, you kind of that seasonal affective disorder thing. You know, you kind of realise you have that when the sun's come out, and it's like, oh wow, it's just so much nicer to go outside and it's sunny, and you kind of you can look forward, you can feel optimistic, and there are things to look forward to in the world after all. I don't know if that's too much of a kind of window into my state of well-being. Maybe I don't know, but even more than that, on Wednesday night, seeing Deli Ali score an amazing goal and then smile for the first time in bloody ages. It's even better, better than the sun. I'm not saying that the weather is why Tottenham were good because that would be very silly. But it was a really, really nice day on Sunday, and like I, I walked through. This is completely. This will be of no interest to listeners at all. But I walked through Harringay beforehand on my way up to the ground, and it was so nice. And again, as always in these kind of situations, I did think, God, I really, really wish there were fans here because it's exactly the kind of like Sunday lunchtime game where. You get a nice big crowd and everyone's kind of relaxed. And uh, I thought it would have been a really good vibe. So, and maybe that coloured my thinking, and maybe that's made me be more positive than I should have been about the game. But it was really, it was really good, and I did feel, I did have that sense watching it that like things are starting to come together. And I'm sure a lot of that is to do with you know the changing the seasons and the may, maybe even the sense that you know the worst of coronavirus might be behind us. And that we will have fans back into the ground. We will have a normal Euros. And I think the 2021-22 season, I think, will will be a lot more normal than this one. 
even if it won't be a fully normal season. So maybe better things are around the corner. We'll we'll get on to the whole Mourinho debate later on, because that is a a debate that will never go away. But to look at a different individual, the person who most, I think, exemplified that change was Gareth Bale. To make the same point yet again, I wish that there had been fans there to see Bale play like this, because this is really what, what Daniel Levy brought him back for. You know, you've got the run past Charlie Taylor after about five or six minutes, so he just destroyed him down the right-hand side. That incredible, like, quarterback-style diagonal pass over Brownhill's head through to Kane to set up Kane's goal, which was great. That's a long ball, according to A long ball, yeah. Yeah, a long ball. The the clever little running behind to score his first goal after 65 seconds from Sonny's pass from the left. Uh, And then best of all, I thought, was his his goal, which was just a classic, classic uh, Bale goal. Like, he scored one a bit like that against Wolfsburg on Thursday, sorry, Wednesday evening when I think Delhi was running in through the middle, passed it out to the right-hand side. Bale took it first time, hit it far into the opposite corner. Whereas this one was slightly different in the sense that the ball came to him outside the box from Son's pass. Bale had to take one touch to set himself and then whipped it again round the defender into the far corner. But it was, you know, we had such a good view from the press box, James. And as soon as he took that first touch to set himself, we, you, know, you just knew what he was going to try. And you kind of knew that he'd do it because he did it on Wednesday. And he just seemed to radiate that confidence of being a top player again. I think Mourinho said, didn't he, actually? And I can't remember if it was after the game on Wednesday or after the game on Sunday now. But uh, he talked about the way he struck the ball. And it might, actually, I think it must have been after the game on it Wednesday. It was after he, Wednesday, he, he yeah. Hit that, yeah. First time with such confidence. Like a like a, a player low on confidence probably wouldn't hit the ball like that. And that's a pretty that's a massively positive sign for Spurs, isn't it? If Gareth Bale is confident. And we've talked through the season about the the necessity of Spurs finding a third goal scorer in this team. And, you know, and how much they've it's incredibly well documented how much they've relied on Son and Kane. And if Bale can come in and we talked about needing to find someone who'd get five, six, seven, eight Premier League goals in the season. And that looking incredibly unlikely. But now, actually, you look at it and think, well, Bale's on three now. And if he's in the team more often than not between now and the end, you, you kind of back him to get six, seven, eight goals, wouldn't you, I think? Yeah, definitely. So Bale's got three in the league, four, five, six, seven, eight in all competitions. So, um, I think yeah, I think by the end of the season, his numbers will probably be okay. But he's playing like a better player than that. Like, he's playing like a player who would get, you know, could get 15, 20 over the course of the season, I think across all the competitions. And it's just amazing amazing to see that change. I guess it probably... If you were to date it, James, would you go back to the West Ham game, that West Ham cameo, as being when when he started to look a little bit more himself? Well, no. I mean, I think you could go back to... I mean, we talked about the Manchester City game when he came on for the last, what, like, kind of 15, 20 minutes and was the only player in a Tottenham shirt that really did anything. Oh, yeah, that's really fair, much. yeah. He went on that mazy run... And then had the shot that Edison saved. But then the first leg of the Wolfsburg tie was after that, wasn't it? Before West Ham. That's right. So, so you City... probably go back through City, Wolfsburg, West Ham, Wolfsburg, Burnley over the course of the last like two weeks or whatever. I'd say, you know, he's kind of steadily progressed to, from being like a sort of impressive, an impressive cameo, two good performances in Europe, a, a very good second half performance at West Ham, which obviously unfortunately wasn't enough. And then being probably, I don't know if he was Sky's man of the match, but he was one certainly among the better players in the pitch, probably probably was the man of the match, wasn't he? Um, in a Premier League game against Burnley. You know, and that's a pretty a pretty rapid and steady progression. Uh, and in, an entirely encouraging one. There's been quite a lot of sort of grumbling about it only being Burnley, which I kind of get. 
But if you look at if you look at their record, even just in the last couple of months, obviously they won at Anfield. Um, I think the only games they've lost in the last sort of six seven weeks have been against the sort of Chelsea and Man City. I don't mean they've lost to anyone else in the league. I mean they've been in pretty decent form. I don't concede many goals. Whoever's in the team, and I know you know they had Barnes and Wood mostly missing from their team, but it's still it's offensively you know Tarkovsky and me. Uh, in terms of like defense and Pope as well in goal, like in terms of like defensive partnerships or units, among the best in the league, you'd say. To be able to, not many teams have scored four goals against Burnley this season. I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if it's just the first time it happened. One of Spurs' big structural issues this year has been putting away teams they should put away. So to see Spurs racking up, like it's not stat padding for Spurs to rack up goals against Burnley. It's literally like the one thing they struggle to do, as proven by those really annoying draws in games against Palace and yeah. Palace and Wolves and Fulham at home the other week you know it, Spurs have not been dominant and expansive in those games so it's not silly to watch Spurs batter Burnley and then be like this is good this is much better because that's exactly what they've been failing to do forget like you know what happened against Chelsea what happened against Liverpool what happened against West Ham it, you know if Spurs had, had played like that or been able to play like that and won games you know the games that you mentioned against Palace, Wolves Fulham Brighton if they had won even two of those games, they'd be like properly, properly in the mix for the top four. And, and it would, you know, I mean, if they'd won all of them, they'd be probably third or whatever. So, yeah, you're right. It is, it is a tangible step in the right direction, totally. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You will enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Just back on Bale, if I were to build a Gareth Bale backometer, a backometer, <laughs> to say how back is he? Is he a hundred percent back? Is he ninety percent back? Is he? Are we, what are we saying? Back, back to what level? Are we? Are we talking about twelve, thirteen? Yeah, yeah. I guess it was. Like, yeah, <laughs> when he left Spurs in twenty thirteen. Uh, I mean, he's probably only at maybe sort of sixty, seventy of that, maybe on the basis yeah. of what we saw on Sunday. And I don't think the expectation would be that he'd ever get back to 100% of that, no. maybe to 80. I mean, certainly, like the bail that we've seen in the last two weeks, it's probably been like what we expected to be seeing from sort of, I don't know, maybe November, maybe. So I guess we're kind of three or four months behind. 
But if if we do get it more often than not between now and the end of the season, you would fancy it would give Spurs a chance. You know, I think like this time last week, you were kind of worried about the possibility of not qualifying for Europe at all. But actually now, you know, th- that just feels like it can make such a big difference. And not just in terms of what Bale is bringing to a team, but on what the rub-off on the other players is going to be of that. And you can just see, like, there's so much more positivity. And, like, you know, I, I, you know, I talked about Deli Ali smiling before, which sounds like nonsense. But, like, players enjoying playing is going to kind of make them more confident when they're out on the pitch. And it's kind of, you know, all, all those things kind of play into one another. And it, those little intangibles, I think, do make quite a big difference. And you can see them getting quite a lot of confidence in the way the last couple of games have gone. And to go through so convincingly in Europe without having to rely on... Kane and as much on Son I think it's quite a big deal you imagine they'll probably have to play a slightly stronger team against Zagreb but I wouldn't be necessarily entirely surprised if Son or Kane do miss out I, I suspect one of them will play so you know suddenly you look at it you know and these, these two next two league games against Fulham and Palace and those are those kind of games we just talked about where they drop points in fact they drop points against both of them in the last three months four months yeah. if they can get six points from those two games Suddenly they'll be they'll be back in that conversation, won't they? Properly. Yeah. And Bale is Bale is just totally those performances. I think in the last couple of games have, have totally transformed what the season can be. He really has, and he's also. I was trying to think earlier. When was the last time? Because I don't really watch a lot of uh, Spanish football, but I was wondering when the last time he kind of looked himself was. Like I saw that he scored scored two goals in a La Liga game against Villarreal in September 2019, just after his move to Jiangsu Suning collapsed in the summer of 2019. I wonder if that might even have been his best performance since um, the overhead kick in the 2018 Champions League final in Kiev against Liverpool, which was coming up to three years ago. Like he scored a hat-trick against Kashima Antlers in the Club World Cup in December 2018. Uh, James looks impressed by that fact. Watching yesterday, he played with a confidence and a sharpness that I just didn't think he still had in him. So in that sense, he he's already he's already done better than I thought he would have done say a month ago when he just couldn't really yeah. get in the team and he never looked anywhere near his level on the the kind of broader tactical point i think in this game we saw the benefit of the move of Ndombele back into the two which has really been the big the big change in the last month i guess ever since the west brom game which they won 2-0 at home was when Mourinho first moved Ndombele back into the two rather than having him play as the 10 because and obviously the beauty of doing that is you have four players four attacking players in front of Ndombele and obviously in the last few weeks they've been slightly constrained by having Eric Lamella as one of those front four who is you know he's very good at certain things Lamella but he's not like an out and out attacking player but this time because it was Son Kane Lucas and Bale as the front four it was the first time they had really four pure forwards I think that combined with having the two attacking fullbacks as well in Reguilon and Aurier it was just a much more attacking-looking Tottenham team, even aside from individuals. Yeah, I thought it was quite a bold select. I mean, I think you tweeted this. It was quite a bold selection, wasn't it? A team selection. If you think about like being... The most attacking... I think it was the most attacking team Mourinho's put out at Tottenham. Yeah, you'd say it probably was. And, like, you know, against a team like Burnley, who, as we've established, are no mugs, it's pretty ballsy to do that. I, I thought it was quite interesting that there were times, and, and actually the, the attack that led to that fourth goal, where Lucas was basically playing as, like as close to a number nine as Spurs had. You know, obviously now we're expecting Kane to drop off, but it's quite interesting to see Lucas playing centrally ahead of him. Yeah. Having bemoaned, having bemoaned him playing as a number nine this time last year, for him to now be playing as a cent- the central focal point with, with so much going on around him, it feels quite different though, doesn't it? I think yeah. That's the thing. I think he's quite... What Lucas is good at is just... This is going to sound incredibly basic. Just getting the ball and running forward with it. 
he's willing to make runs that other players wouldn't do because other players would think, God, if I run there, I'm going to lose the ball. Whereas Lucas is quite willing just to, you know, drive forward with the ball, try and provoke a challenge. A lot of the times he'll lose it. Some of the times he'll win a free kick. There was one moment in the early in the first half, I think at 1-0, where I think he got the ball in from Saarland. and he burst forward, a brilliant first touch through a defender, and then he hit a shot straight at Pope. And it was just yeah. like, and obviously, you know, he didn't score. He could have scored. But the fact he could make that chance for himself by taking the risk and running and bursting forward with the ball with that touch was testament to what he can do in that system. And, you know, he's, he's I don't think he's as good as the other three guys around him, but he it's not like he gives you nothing. It didn't make me think about how we assess him based on European games because he, he tries to make those runs in games against lesser teams where... One, there are so many defenders deep anyway. And two, the other players in the Tottenham team, and this isn't to decry those players, but if it's Vinicius, Lamella, Bergwijn, say, up there with him, opposition defenders aren't going to be quite so preoccupied by them as they would be by Kane, Son, Bale. So he probably has maybe slightly less to do against uh, Premier League defences because, you know, if Kane's dropped off, at least one defender's going to kind of have an eye on him. If Son's peeled off to the left and Bale's peeled off to the right, then they're going to take at least two defenders with the two of them as well. So it, it kind of stands to reason that there'd be a little bit more space for Lucas to operate in in a Premier League game than maybe there would be in a European game. And it, it, that, that did make me think a bit about how we kind of look, not just at Lucas, but other players who play in these European matches and, and maybe haven't done so well, that it's not really fair to kind of judge them, even if they're playing against lesser teams, if they're playing with slightly lesser players it's not quite an even playing field, is it? Yeah, yeah, you're right. But it did make me think like, because um, a lot of people, I think if you ask how you could change the team that played the other day, they would say, well, you'd have either Delhi or Lo Celso in instead of Lucas, maybe as a slightly more conventional number 10 than Lucas's sort of own interpretation of that role. Do you agree with that, James? Would you have, would you go for Delhi? Would you go for Lo Celso? Would you stick with Lucas? It feels it feels a bit unfair to kind of say you'd pick someone else on the basis of what we saw yesterday. I mean, I think ultimately I would want Delhi to be in the team, and you can see how he he could operate as the kind of the, the main focal point in this in, in a different way. Yeah. But still, as like a midfield player going beyond Harry Kane when Harry Kane drops off, you know, and Delhi Ali will make runs into the box and be more of a threat from crosses, I guess. And we know that particularly Reguilon, but also Aurier as well. Their delivery into the penalty area is pretty good. Sort of very good, actually. So you could see the merit of, of Delhi being the Delhi being the player in that system, definitely, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. The, the role that Lucas plays in that system now is probably a role that, you know, it's a role that we've seen Delhi Ali play for years, like running beyond Kane, getting beyond Kane into the box, getting on the end of things, particularly in a team which had two attacking fullbacks and Son and Bale coming in from coming in from outside. Like, there's going to be a lot of chances there. Going to be quite a lot of mayhem, I think. And you can totally see Delhi making the most of that. I still think it's a bit of a shame we've barely seen Lascelles all season. He seems to have got, you know, a few different injuries at bad times and never really been able to get a run of games together. But I, I still think he's such a good player that ultimately... Not all the time, but a lot of the time, Spurs' best team will have a fit Lacelso in. And I suppose maybe in an away, if it's an away game or a European game where they wanted a bit of extra control, I would want Lacelso as the 10 in that system playing in front of Hoiberg and Dombele, even though he would obviously give you much less in the final third than Lucas and Deli would, who are much better final third players, I think. 
I mean, I think aside from anything else, you just want the options, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I think it's inarguable that Spurs would have been better off had he been fit all season, purely because it's would have allowed them to rotate that a little bit more and keep players a little bit fresher. So for me, I mean, I, I take on board what you're saying. For me, it's quite hard to see exactly where and when he's going to fit in. Yeah. Um, now, I'll be interested to see when it comes around to like, say, the League Cup final, whether Mourinho is going to go back to the sort of tried and tested Hoiberg and Sissoko in the two and Ndombele further forward, or whether now he's going to kind of migrate to something a bit more akin to the, the kind of team we saw yesterday. My instinct is it would be better to go for the Sissoko Hoiberg dynamic, but I, I'm not convinced that's what we'll see given isn't really what he did in the most recent game against City. That is a huge question if Spurs keep on with this sort of 4-2-4, which I think is basically what it is. If Spurs keep on with this 4-2-4 for the next few weeks, how will they set up against City? I think is fascinating. I, I did think there were moments where Burnley kind of looked like getting through or seemed to kind of almost have Spurs turned or almost getting behind. Uh, because it's a lot, you know, you're asking a lot defensively for Hoiberg and Dombrey to do all the defending. And of course, against Burnley is one thing, because Burnley are like, uh, Burnley are like stylistically as different from City as you can get. But if if it's City with De Bruyne, Bernardo, Foden, all drifting into that space and no recognised centre forward, which is how City have been playing recently, then I would worry a little bit for that kind of area in and around Hoiberg if Tottenham were to play like that. It is a, uh, it's a question that Mourinho will be relishing. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favourite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So something else that I quite enjoyed on the coverage of this game yesterday on Sky Sports was quite a funny row between Roy Keane and Jamie Redknapp, which I'm sure a lot of you will have heard, but... Here's a clip from it now. Which out of this Tottenham team would get in Liverpool, Man City team, Chelsea team? You wouldn't touch any of them. Son and Kane, what? Hoy yeah, Bjerg? I take them two. Yeah, yeah I said them two. They're outstanding, but the rest of them, you okay. wouldn't touch them. 
play Alderweireld is a better centre back than he'd get in Man United's team as a centre back right now. I think he would. Yeah. I think the goalkeeper's not good enough. I'll agree with you there. I don't think he does well enough. I think the right, the two right backs they've signed. No, I don't trust Aurier and I don't trust uh, Doherty. He hasn't done well enough, but he plays in a back three. I think the back four isn't good enough. But I tell you what, Reggion is as good a left back as there is in the country. Yeah. So I think you've got that one wrong. I think he's a he's a class player. That's I mean, why Real Madrid let him go. Not got any That's why Real Madrid. Why do you think Real Madrid let him what, go? You're saying he's not. Does that matter? Oh, because Real Madrid let him go. That doesn't make him a good player. Yeah, it's but like how much you let him go for? Country, not a good player. How much you let him go for? It's not as if they paid sixty, Sorry? seventy million. They might be able to buy him back. Actually, so you're saying they bring Darby in. playing for Wolves who are, the last year have done well and they're expecting to compete, they sell him to Spurs for £15 million. Does anyone really think Doherty's going to make yeah. Spurs a top-four team? No, Doherty, really? Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. What about the left-back then? So you're saying Reggion's not a good player now? Is that what he you're is, saying? No, he's you a good player. You can't see a lot of Spurs. He, he is a good, he's good player. No, he's a good player. Just, t- just take a breath, Jamie. Very good. Now, I never thought I'd say this on the podcast, but I completely agree with Jamie Redknapp here, James. I am very much in the pro yeah pro Jamie Redknapp camp because I think he's I think he's right that this is quite a good squad like this is something we've been talked about all season really in the context of the Mourinho debate is are these players good or not and I think there is a view that Mourinho is off the hook no matter how bad things get because the players are bad but my view of this is that the players are pretty good I think Keane has a point that being an international player doesn't in itself make you good and also that no. the Spurs squad isn't as good as it was a few years ago although I think there's various other factors for, for that not just individuals but fundamentally these the players the players are, are not bad there is the, definitely the, the nucleus of a very good squad there and there are a lot of a lot of good players. You know, you can argue Vitos over why it hasn't worked quite as well as you would have expected it to either at the start of the season or once we got to sort of November, December. But I don't think you can argue that. I mean, look, Lloris is clearly in decline, but he's obviously one of the better goalkeepers in the Premier League still. Similar for someone like Alderweireld, who's not as good as he was three or four years ago, but that doesn't mean he's not still a very good player. Aurier has, broadly speaking, been improved this season. Reguilón, we know, it looks like he's going to be one of the the better fullbacks in the division. Hoiberg clearly made a massive impact. Ndombele, Lo Celso, Deli Alli, theoretically to be one of the better players in the league. Kane and so on goes about saying Bale, it looks like he's going to be back at it as well. So there are loads of good players there. And King's argument seems to be that nobody outside Kane and Son would get in the rest of the other big six teams, which seems bizarre. If you, I mean, the one thing that's me about the whole thing is that nobody mentioned Ndombele by name. Who I think is a player yeah. who could, you know, this so before Spurs fans accuse me of trying to sell these players to other teams, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Ndombele would be would be good enough, technically wise, to play for City or Man United or or Liverpool or Leicester or anyone. It's not like Man United have got lots of really good players in lots of positions. And Redknapp made that point to Keenan. He said, "Look, United tried to sign." They also tried to sign Dyer the year before. Yeah, exactly. Which kind of ties us back to the issue about the Spurs defence. But I think a lot of these individuals, you might argue that in midfield and in defence, Spurs were better three or four years ago. I think that probably is true, just. But um, the individuals in the Spurs squad are not unusably bad. Yeah, you're right. And it it does tie into that kind of uh, Mourinho debate again, I guess, (laughs) of whether you kind of side with him or the players in terms of like that regression. But it has got me thinking, and this was prompted by a tweet I got this morning, are we being a bit fickle? Because I do feel at the moment like Spurs' season, it's on a knife edge at the moment, Spurs' season. They can't afford to lose any more ground in the Premier League. 
They can't afford to get knocked out of the Europa League by Dinamo Zagreb. They have to maintain this improvement that they've shown in the last week or so and continue it right up until, you know, through the rest of March, up until the international break, which is a hugely important time. And then obviously April will be even more important than that. So I do feel like right now everything is in the mix. We published a story last week after our last podcast saying that while Mourinho thought that his coaching methods were second to none, which is what he said after the West Ham game, that some of the Tottenham players don't like them, uh, that they think that they're limited in their attacking football, that it's too reactive, very much connected to some of the criticisms that we've made over this season of, of how the team play. And I do think that I do think that those criticisms are legitimate. And I certainly, as I said in my piece, I certainly think that there are Spurs players who are not on board fully with Mourinho's approach. That said, the Burnley game showed that it can work. Like, I don't think I don't think things are terminal. I think there is still support from some of the players from Mourinho and his style of play. And they're clearly capable of playing well and winning games. So right now, I do feel like everything is on a knife edge, James. It could go either way. Like, there are, as we've been saying for a while on this podcast, there's a very good end of the season that I can envisage. I suppose winning the Europa League, the League Cup, back in the Champions League for next year. And there's a pretty miserable end of the season I can envisage as well, which is Spurs tailing off and finishing 8th or 7th and not winning anything. And I don't know which way it's going to go. How are you feeling? As I kind of mentioned before, I think these next two games are really important because I can't see, in league terms, I can't really see like a good end to the season without without getting six points in these next two games. Uh, and what a good end to the season is, I, I'm not quite sure now. Because I want like, you know, if they were to win the League Cup and or the Europa League, then obviously like finishing six in combination with that, I think would be really, really good. But if they were to lose that League Cup final and go out of Europe, say in the quarterfinals of the Europa League, um, or even earlier, uh, I think they really would need, you know, finishing sixth in combination with that would be a failure and they probably need to find a way of getting into the top four, which as we mentioned before, suddenly doesn't feel quite such an insurmountable challenge now. But I think if, you, if, they, if they don't beat Fulham and Palace, then that gap will open up a, li- a little bit. I mean, you know, I, I think Chelsea's next two games are, there's Chelsea-Liverpool coming up. There's another sort of Chelsea game against someone else in that mix. So I can't think who it can be. Now, Everton, maybe? I don't know. They, it all seems like a lot of these teams are all kind of playing each other. The teams is kind of in between Spurs and like third or fourth. So teams will definitely drop points. Um and it's it is as good as an opportunity as they're going to get over the next few days or next week to really close that gap down and put themselves right back in that mix again. Uh, and if, yeah, if I haven't done that by the time they're playing Arsenal in like two weeks' time, I, I think it could be uh, it, that that could be done and dusted. Which you know, uh, 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 in one sense, <laughs> maybe it's quite good because it would allow them to kind of focus fully on Europe. And if they go through against Zagreb. And they're out of it. And they're out of it in the league. Then they can just put all their eggs in one basket, can't they? And focus entirely on that, which isn't necessarily a dreadful thing. Um, it, it obviously isn't what we would have envisaged at the start of the season or November, December. But it would kind of focus minds certainly. Uh, yeah, it is incredibly difficult to to work out what the season is going to be. And, I, and I'm very conscious that people will be thinking that we we flip flopped over the course of the last few months. Um, but it has just been one of those seasons where, you know, we, we kind of had a vision of it being quite a difficult challenge for Spurs to get in the, the top four right at the start. Obviously, we lost at the, in the first game and looked absolutely terrible and we were concerned. Then picked up incredibly quickly and had those two big wins against Southampton and Manchester United. 
had a bit of a wobble against West Ham, but then went on a very good run and beat Man City, Arsenal drew at Chelsea, played well at Liverpool, but lost. But then suddenly it kind of feels like the wheels came off so spectacularly over the course of the following two or three months that it, it was just impossible to conceive that they would be able to turn it around in a in a way that would be big enough to uh, to, to get back into the top four, which is mad when you think that, you know, I remember having conversations about top, top four being more or less nailed on, yeah, I'm sure, and yeah. you and or Charlie saying that. Which isn't just me throwing you under the bus, but you were. I'm sure, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it has just been a ludicrous season in that sense, in terms of like go, like looking like they were going to perform way over expectations, and then suddenly ending up now like looking like they're going they could could be way below. And now suddenly we've had this kind of kickback in the last few days where it feels like well actually maybe things aren't quite that bad. So I, I'm yeah, like I say, I'm conscious that it kind of feels like we've been swinging one way then the other and just kind of going with whichever way the wind is blowing. But it really has been that kind of season where it's just been very, very difficult to gauge which way things are going to go. And, I, and I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if things kind of swung two more times between now and the end. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I'm probably willing to hold my hands up to the accusations of fickleness. I think I probably am quite fickle. Because I'm here as the fan, so I'm allowed to be fickle. That's the point. Yeah. But you, you're a journalist, like a proper grown-up journalist. You go to press conferences and matches and stuff. Yeah. So you, you you should be disappointed to be accused of being fickle. I think to an extent, like, being a journalist does involve responding a bit to what to what fans want and, you know, both prompting and also reflecting what fans want. So there's going to be a degree of reactiveness. And it always, it kind of surprises me when people say typical reactive, reactionary, knee-jerk journalism. And you think, well... You know the team did just win four uh, nil. It's uh, and so to an extent you're you know to to an extent you are going to follow the results a bit. While at the same time you know you might draw conclusions that are um, run slightly counter to that. What I would say as well in regards to that is that you know there was a, a like, the defeat at Anfield where I think some people in the media were really really hammering Spurs for the way they played. When I think actually we on our podcast after that were quite positive about the way Spurs had played. Um, uh, and were kind of fairly defensive of the team, uh, ironic, given the accusations they had been too defensive. And then, you know, the games like West Brom the other week where they won for the first time in a while, but we were kind of quite guarded uh, in terms of kind of praising too much because, it, you know, that really was only West Brom uh, and it wasn't like an, an absolutely scintillating performance. But, you know, this one against Burnley feels incredibly different against a, a far more uh, obdurate opponent uh, and, and a far better performance from Spurs. So, yeah, I, I would certainly add that as a caveat that I think we've been, we have kind of, uh, we have kind of not flip flopped purely on the basis of results. Yeah. It's been more kind of performance led. I hope so. But we do, we do take on board the uh, the criticisms of the re- constructive criticism of the readers, whether it's in tweets or in the comments or whatever. So please do keep them coming, and we will, we will try and bear in mind what you think if you think we're being unfair or too happy clappy yeah, or we'll, whatever. We'll flip-flop again. We'll flip-flop again. Yeah, yeah, basically, if you shout at us enough, we'll change our minds. Just please, please tell so us. So please, yeah. please continue to shout at us and we will change our mind back to whatever your opinion is. But yeah, it, it, it really is the bigger... Yeah, I mean, I know we keep saying it. It's just a colossal few weeks, isn't it? Between now, between now and the international break. Like, after the international break, Spurs can worry about down the line and actually they've got some bigger games then in the league in the sense that they've got Man United they've got Everton they've got City in, in the in the Carabao Cup final but um, yeah for 
it's so perfect that it's Fulham and Palace because Fulham and Palace were two, I think, two of the most depressing, frustrating, exasperating one-all draws of those one-all draws that Spurs have had. Just because you could kind of tell what was going to happen before it happened, and then it did happen. If they can win both of those games, they can prove that this kind of one nil itis that they've got is off their backs. Then you know, suddenly, suddenly, I do think the prospects will be changing, and I do think, as James just said there, like predicting who will actually wind up finishing fourth is quite hard at the moment just because of the unique circumstances of this season. Like, I'm sure, imagine City and United will be first and second, but I wouldn't necessarily trust Leicester and West Ham to stick in third and fourth. And while Chelsea and Liverpool might go on a run and get back in there, they might not. And then you've got Everton and Villa around Spurs, who, you know, I don't know whether they've got the staying power, the experience to dig in and uh, and make a push for fourth. I'm, you know, this is not me saying Spurs are going to get a fourth. I just do think there will be a lot of churn and movement around that from second place down, basically, second place to tenth over the last 12 games of the season. And that might see Spurs finish in fourth, or it might see the Spurs finish in ninth. But it's quite difficult to call that at this point. But there is a f- there's going to be a future beyond this season. Uh, you know, Tottenham will still be there next season. So I did a piece the other day looking at some of the players who might be involved with them next year who are not currently playing for the club, and that is the guys who are out on loan. So it's a bit of a change, really, for Spurs, uh, in the sense that under Pochettino, he famously didn't like to loan out his best young players, like to keep them in the club and work with them and coach them. And I think in the main, that was a pretty successful policy. Like, that was how, you know, Harry Winks wouldn't be the player that he is now if it wasn't for that Pochettino coaching. And it had, I think, it had a lot of success, whereas Mourinho is a bit more old school in the sense that he wants his best young players to go out and get loan experience rather than just hanging around at the club. And that means that now, in a way that wasn't the case in the past few years, Spurs' best young players are out on loan. So I did a story looking looking at how well those guys are doing. Like the big, you know, I think the big name really is Oliver Skip, who is doing really, really well for Daniel Farkas Norwich in a kind of deep-lying midfield role. He scored a rare goal the other day, uh, kind of running the length of the pitch to finish off a counter-attack. So he looks like he's doing really well, James. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be quite interesting to see how big an impact which European competition, if any Spurs are playing in next season, has on what happens if guys like Skip. Because... Uh, if they're in Europa League again, then you can kind of see that that might be quite a good pathway for people like Skip in terms of like getting regular matches in that next season. Whereas if, if they're not in Europe at all, then maybe it's more beneficial in the longer term for him to go out on loan again, maybe. I mean, even to Norwich again, possibly in the Premier League next season. You can kind of see where that might work slightly better rather than him being mostly sat on the bench. Um, and I know they were kind of... Uh, internal conversations I think you mentioned this uh, about whether Skip should come back in January and you know we've said before Mourinho was kind of sort of semi-reluctant to let him go out at all um, originally so uh, you, could get, you know obviously people at the club including Mourinho rate him highly but I just wonder whether it's highly enough for him to play regularly in the Premier League even next season despite how well he's done this season uh, and I think you know m- most likely he'd be kind of like another study for Hoiberg maybe yeah and I just think that it might, one, having someone like that that could play some games, you know, because we know how much Hoiberg has had to play this season uh, and how terrified Mourinho has been of ever withdrawing him and how often he's kind of thrown him on when he's previously wanted to give him a rest, like in European games or cup games or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, obviously it'd be massive to have a player like that in the squad. But I do think if they're not in Europe, it might be uh, more sensible in the longer term to have him out on loan. I mean, the other one who I think 
could come into the fold, it would be Sessegnon, I guess, Ryan Sessegnon. Yeah. We think we know Spurs are probably going to need to improve defensively next season. That's where they're going to probably want to spend most of their transfer budget if, if such a thing exists uh, over the summer. So if they can kind of, <laughs> without wanting to kind of uh, downplay the players too much, if they can kind of pad out the rest of the squad with uh, players like Skip and Sessegnon without having to kind of spend more money on backup midfield players or wide players or whatever, you can kind of see that that might be in their thinking. Yeah, yeah. And the other big one who I think there's a lot of interest in is Troy Parrott. So Parrott obviously went to Millwall at the start of the season and I think struggled a bit to really get in and uh, and make his presence felt there. You know, hasn't because he hasn't got really any experience of senior football. Parrot just a few games for Spurs here and there, and then playing in the Championship, I think he found it very tough and struggled to really make an impact for Gary Rowett. So that loan was cancelled and he went to Ipswich, where you know down in League One, where it's a little bit easier. You get a bit more time on the ball. And but he's been doing well. He's been, you know, speaking to people who watch a lot of Ipswich and a lot, watch a lot of Parrot, and they've been really impressed with him. He's been playing in a kind of sort of deep lying striker role um, behind Norwood, I think, up front for is it Norwood up front for Ipswich? Uh, and yeah, people seem impressed with him. James Norwood, yeah. Um, and he, he, the one thing is, he hasn't scored yet. He's had a good, really good. I think he started six games in a row, which is his best ever run of games by far. He hasn't got a goal yet. I think you know he certainly needs a goal for his confidence. And I don't get the impression. I think while Skip next year will be either probably on a Premier League loan or in in and around the Tottenham squad, I feel like Parrot. You know, given that he's in League One at the moment, Parrot is probably behind Skip in that development process. And maybe it'll be another year before we see Parrot competing in in the Tottenham squad. But um yeah, I think he's I think he's now very much on the right track. And there's Harvey White James as well, who is um uh, at Portsmouth in League One, scored his first goal in a one-nil win at Oxford United last Tuesday. I think he is expected to be in and around the Spurs squad next season. He's still very, very popular with the club. So is there anyone else, James, as well as Parrot or White or who you'd like to see more of next year? You think like Parrot and White, maybe they're that little bit younger and obviously they've got a little bit less kind of experience. Obviously, Skip uh, and Sessing have both played Premier League matches and European matches, I guess, before. So yeah, White, White and Parrot maybe would be slightly further down the line, I guess. Uh, I mean, the one obviously that started the whole conversation was um, with Dane Scarlett, wasn't it? After Mourinho said he'd be in the first team squad next season, which is quite some statement given he's what, he's still 16, right? He'll be 17 next season. Yeah. So, yeah, who knows exactly how that's going to play out. I mean, that's probably too young to go out alone, I guess, isn't it? You really want to keep someone quite that young uh, around the club and let him kind of play in under-18s, under-23 matches and whatever. So, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how, you know, guys like Scarlett and Devine do as well, obviously having seen them both play in the first team. So, it feels like there was a bit of a, I don't want to say like a fallow period because that kind of seems quite disrespectful, but, you know, having seen quite a, a kind of peak kind of four or five years ago of a lot of, academy players coming into the first team when Pochettino first took over. Sorry, I suppose six or seven years ago now. Um, you know, if Kane and Mason, Bentaleb, Townsend, uh, it kind of felt like that slowed down a little bit. And I don't know whether that is down to that policy you were talking about of players not going out on loan. But yeah, now it feels like there's quite a lot of excitement about quite a few players, which obviously is quite good to see, particularly because, you know, <laughs> as we said, I, I, I'd be surprised if there was loads of money to be... Uh, spent on new signings next season so if they can utilise those youth team players next season that would definitely be good Excellent yeah well it's uh, it, it's interesting to think about how what Spurs look like next season you know we can't even honestly say what we what the squad will look like or the manager or the 
you know, how many people there will be in the stadiums. But I think, it, yeah, I think there are certainly reasons to be optimistic as well as an awful lot of football left to be played this season and uh, lots of different scenarios left on the table. Well, that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast. We will be back again next week looking back at the Fulham game this Thursday and the Crystal Palace game on Sunday. Thanks very much to everyone for all your feedback, tweets, comments and everything. We do take them all on board. Uh, Thank you very much to James and producer Tom, and we look forward to being back with you again next week. The Athletic.